For the first time ever, I am thrilled to say we have an official sponsor for the Dirk Talk podcast, and that's Ariat. I've worn Ariat boots on every job site I've visited over the years, traveling in them across five continents. More importantly, I have yet to find a single project where working folks, unlike me, are not wearing Ariat boots and workwear in every condition imaginable. And there's really good reason for that. And that's because it's phenomenal stuff. And the more I've learned about Ariat and the company, the more I've loved their brand. So with this, Ariat is offering any Dirt Talk listener 10% off their next Ariat order at ariat.com slash Dirt Talk. That's 10% off boots, jeans, and workwear at ariat.com slash Dirt Talk or at the link in this episode's description. With that, let's get to the show. Hello and welcome to the Dirt Talk Podcast, episode 78. As always, I'm your host, Aaron Witt, on a mission to make the dirt world a better place. We have another episode where I interview an exciting guest in the dirt world. This mm-hmm. guy, he is... Is he really in the dirt world? Sort of? So he he did pools. Oh, yeah. And you could argue that's dirt. <laughs> you can't build a pool without moving dirt. That's true. But that's not why he's on Dirt Talk. The reason he's on Dirt Talk is because he is a phenomenal marketing, storytelling, sales expert, mm-hmm. Mr. Marcus Sheridan. He is a a phenomenal speaker. He's gone around the world speaking about how to tell stories more effectively. And obviously this is our our entire business is telling stories in the yeah. world. So we thought this would be phenomenal. We've learned a ton from Marcus. He's on Build It Leaders. So if you want to hear more from Marcus uh, from an educational standpoint, check him out on Build It Leaders. And hopefully you find this uh, extraordinarily valuable. So here we go. I know everybody's excited to have you on the podcast. I'm excited to have you on the podcast. This is, of course, Dirt Talk. So there's a requirement that everybody on Dirt Talk needs to have some dirt-related element to them. You, it's, it's at face value, there is not a whole lot of dirt. But if you dig, no pun intended, just a little bit deeper, you're a swimming pool guy. And at least below swimming pool or below ground swimming pools require some dirt to be moved. Well, heck, I mean, even if you're doing an above ground, you've got a level grade, right? Yes. And so, I mean, heck, I've hit water on an above ground pool before. When we started the business in 2001, we were primarily an above ground pool builder. And that's what I thought we were going to be. And I thought we were going to be a hot tub build, uh, installer, like like portable hot tubs. I thought that was our thing. And that that's how business works. You think you know what you are. The marketplace eventually teaches you what you're supposed to be if you listen hard enough, right? And so eventually we came in and ground pool builder. But yeah, I mean, I, I, um, I've certainly moved some dirt and uh, I can remember all the mistakes that we made early on. Uh, we, we got, I just got to share this. Well, our first little uh, skid we got, we were pulling it around with an F-150. Uh, we didn't pull it around very long with an F-150 because, of course, we about destroyed the F-150. That was new. So yes. like many people do, we, we did everything backwards uh, in business. We got, the, uh, we got the wrong truck first, right? 
which everybody does this. They get the like F-150 or 1500 or whatever that is, right? Then they get the piece of equipment and realize, um, oh, gee, I got the wrong truck. And then once you start using the piece of equipment, we realize we got the wrong piece of equipment because it was one of those traditional skids that had just regular tires and we needed the tracks, right? So it's just like, you know, like everybody else, like everybody else, you just go through the circle of life, especially when it comes to equipment. Yeah. Fortunately, I have a, a large audience to ask about stuff like that. So finally got my skid steer delivered last week. And when I went to them, like, I want one with wheels because I'm from Arizona. They all have wheels on there. And they're like, no, 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 you don't want wheels. You want tracks. I'm like, good. I'll take the tracks then. Because they, they glide over mud. It's amazing. Yes. It's absolutely amazing. It's You get stuck in a tracker. You've, you've really you know, wet the bed. You shouldn't get stuck in a tracker. I mean, it's going to happen sometimes, but you shouldn't get stuck in a tracker. So going to swimming pools, can you give people some background? Just your, your brief, your typical Marcus Sheridan background. How'd you get started? What'd you do? Yeah. Yeah. Why do three people online know who I am? Yes. So uh, maybe four with you, Aaron. Yes. I, I, uh, when I was uh, in college, I found a job in uh, DC. And so at 22, I was married already, had a kid already, and had a first job in the DC area. And my wife and I, we quickly realized we did not like the DC area. And so we decided to come back to where I grew up at, which is the Northern Neck in Virginia. It's a little town called Reedville in Virginia, right on the Chesapeake Bay, but very rural. My two friends had just started a, a retail swimming pool operation, mainly installing above grounds and doing hot tubs. And um, so they were, they were, they, they came to me and they said, hey, Marcus, do you think you could run the store while we're out installing these pools. And I said, yeah, sure, until I figure out what I want to do next. Like, you know, what do I, what do I want to do? Um, and six months into it, they said, hey, would you become a partner? Would you become a partner? Now, if it's okay with you, I want to share probably like what was the catalyst to me becoming a partner because I think it's relevant to the story. You know, I um about two weeks into the job, we had these uh, hot tubs on the floor that we were selling, Aaron. And I had somebody walk into the store and quickly realize that they were a second time owner. So in other words, they've owned a hot tub. And I've been on the job two weeks and I'm a dope. And he, this shopper, he knew I was a dope. Asked a couple questions and he could see I'm wasting my time. The great thing about this guy, though, is he essentially said to me, why did he even have you in here? So not only um, did he know more than me, he wanted to remind me how much of a dope I was in the midst of this conversation. And mm-hmm. I felt embarrassment and humiliation. I'm grateful uh, for that. Because when he left, I said, that will never, ever happen again to me. Mm. And so I, I started this quest of learning everything I possibly could about hot tubs, about the hot tub market. I learned every manufacturer. I learned all their features, all their warranties, where they're from, who their owner names were. I mean, I just, I got crazy about it. And my business partners, Jim and Jason, would walk in the store some days and I'd say, ask me any question about hot tub, any brand. And I'd just start 
giving them all the facts. And they're like, how do you, how do you know these things? And so that became my little obsession because of the sheer embarrassment. And that's the reason why they asked me to become a business partner because some guy came in there and kicked me in my teeth. Mm. And that's the beauty of, of humiliation sometimes and disgust. And, um, you know, we, we tried growing the business and we did relatively speaking. So that was 2001 when we started, but in 2008, the market collapsed and we were at the point of bankruptcy. And I talked to three consultants at the time. They all said, you know, you should file bankruptcy, Marcus. But if I did, I was going to lose my home. My two business partners lost their homes. My 16 employees at the time lost their jobs. So we had to figure out how to get back over that edge we were going over. And we had to do it pretty quickly. We didn't really have any money. And that's when I started to just really think about the internet and think about how have I evolved as a buyer? How have I changed? And as I started to research marketing online, like internet marketing, digital marketing, social media, all that stuff, what I essentially took away, Aaron, was, you know, if you just obsess over the questions, fears, worries your buyers have, your customers have, and you're willing to address them on your website through text, through video, it just might save your company. Mm-hmm. So I said, well, shoot, that's one thing I can do. I mean, I, I, I can teach, I can communicate, right? So that's what we started to do. And I brainstormed all the questions I had gotten over the years. And we answered them uh, one at a time, day by day on the website. And within two years, we became the most traffic swimple website in the world. And to make a long story very short, Riverpools became very successful. And we became a manufacturer of fiberglass pools. And then we became the first franchise of fiberglass pool uh, builders, franchisees around the country, which we have all over the country today. And um, I started a marketing agency in this process, got about 60 employees. We help people implement what is known as the Ask You Answer, which is the framework we used at Riverpools. And the Ask You Answer has been translated in many languages, and I get to travel the world and teach companies about how to become more transparent, how to lean into what buyers really want, how to think like a buyer. It's a beautiful job, and I absolutely love my profession. Now, before we get into the Ask You Answer, I because obviously I want to touch on that. The we're this is dirt talk. This is a niche podcast. We represent the dirt world, construction, mining. Most of these companies right now, and and really just all the time, especially in a public bid place, they don't care about getting new work because they stick a low number on it, or they stick a number on it, and whatever's low that that wins them that that, that wins them the work by law. It it just works that way. So there's a lot of huge contractors doing over a hundred million in revenue without even a website. However, the connection, especially and it's obvious, but I made it last night. The buyer is not necessarily a a a customer in a traditional sense. I think the buyer in the construction industry is the future workforce. That's that's the big problem. And I think these companies are selling their product, their company to the future workforce, because that is the single biggest problem right now in this industry is we cannot find people and it's only getting harder to find people. It's only going in one direction. And so I think throughout, you know, as we get deeper into this conversation, I think that's just a very important distinction to make is this isn't, this, this can work as far as selling or getting more customers from a private work construction standpoint. But this is really all the same principles apply to attracting more people to their businesses. Yeah. And we're going to, there's, there's a lot uh, to discuss there. Um, and actually, I've been 
I'm starting to speak on this subject more, uh, which is transitioning your marketing team from being buyer lead driven to being potential team member employee lead driven. Yeah. And that's where their KPIs, you know, their, their, their key performance indicators are found with, are we really growing our recruiting department? And I don't think there's much better ways to do that than they ask you answer if somebody understands what it is. Uh, so I'm pretty, I'm actually pretty excited about that. And I do want to say one thing though about um, a lot of the builders out there, because I'd be remiss if I didn't if I didn't mention this. Here. Please, yeah, you know, uh, I've been in the game of business now for about twenty some years. So I've gone through two recessions at this point. It's funny how whenever you're a business that's primarily reliant on government jobs and the government changes something, Mm -hmm. quickly you go from B to G to B to B. You see it all the time. Why? Mm -hmm. Because we need revenue. So I've seen many situations where somebody that's primarily a government contractor gets, uh, loses the account and that's 80% of their revenue or whatever. And now they're scrambling and they haven't planted the seeds of the field. Mm -hmm. And so there is no crop coming tomorrow because they haven't planted. The other thing I would say about this too is when people say to me, marketing doesn't really matter in the dirt world. And it's really just a matter of, of um, price. I say, well, if that's the case, answer me this. If you had a choice, would you rather be the first or the second contractor contacted? Every single one says, I want to be first. Well, why do you want to be first? It doesn't matter. Because it does matter. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, nobody would care. Yeah. And so, let's just keep that in mind. As you know, we look at an industry that's fat and happy right now, and that's when it's scary. It's fat and happy from a leads perspective, from a construction perspective. It's uh, fasting and hungry from a people perspective, a recruiting perspective. We've got to fix the problem. And Mike Rowe ain't going to do it by himself. Let me tell you that. No, you're, you're, you're totally right. And you're, you're preaching the choir here. As far as they ask you answer, what are the mechanics of they ask you answer? What is it in its simplest form? So, so let's look at it first from the traditional, and then we'll talk about it straight from a recruiting standpoint. Please. They ask you answer starts with an obsession with your buyers, questions, worries, concerns, issues, etc. Now, in this context, replace the word buyer with recruit, mm-hmm. right? Questions, worries, concerns, issues, etc. Now, that's a heavy conversation. We should have that. The second thing they ask you to answer is, are we willing to communicate with our buyer or recruit in the way they want to be communicated with? So, in other words, in, in, you know, of all companies, you get this. Uh, probably better than anybody in the dirt world, which is, 
just because we don't like video is no excuse for not leveraging video and visual in our uh, recruiting branding process. Mm-hmm. Because the marketplace has said, I want to see it. I want to get to know you. I want to get to know your business. I want to feel like I have a sense for it before I engage you. It's like that for a buyer. It's like that for a recruit. What's interesting, when somebody does the studies, they oftentimes will find that a potential recruit will vet a website in more detail than a potential customer will. It's wild. Really Mm -hmm. fascinating. And then finally, they ask you answer, is the willingness to sell the way they want to buy? The willingness to sell the way they want to buy. And the evolution of sales and selling has been dramatic and dramatic. And a lot of people think that in the dirt world, that that won't, won't change. No, it will change. It has changed. And it's going to evolve dramatically in the coming years. But the way that you hire, therefore, that's selling, right? The way that you hire and go about the hiring process needs to evolve with today's buyer, excuse me, with today's recruit. So, the beauty of the ask you answer is it's purely correlational to recruiting when it's understood. You think about a recruit, what are the major questions that they have? What are the fears they have? How many of those are addressed on your website right now? Just take the top 20, Aaron. You take the top 20 questions a potential recruit has in this industry. You look at the majority of businesses out there of those 20, how many have addressed or on average, how many of those 20 major questions have been addressed? What would be an example of a question or a fear? What is the average compensation? Mm-hmm. All right. That is the most classic. What's interesting in the book they ask you answer, there's, we teach there's essentially five subjects that buyers want to understand before they engage a company. What's really wild is they're the same for recruits. And I'll break this down for you. So as buyers, we're obsessed with, in other words, what are the things that we tend to research? before we engage a company. So number one, we want to understand cost, price, rates, et cetera. Number two, we want to understand what are the negatives? What are the problems? What are the issues? In other words, how could this go wrong? How could this blow up in my face? Uh, Number three, we love to compare things online. We're obsessed with comparing things online. So versus comparisons. Number four, reviews. We're obsessed with reviews. We want to know what other people have said, et cetera. Number five, best, best. We love to research the best. Think about how many times you've gone online and researched best. So cost, problems, comparisons, reviews, and best. Now, here's what's crazy. What are the most uh, common searches that a potential recruit would have directly or indirectly for your, uh, for your industry? Compensation questions, okay? Yep. When it comes to problems, this would be the good, the bad, and the ugly of the profession. They want to know. Like, if I'm going to commit to this, what's the good, the bad, and the ugly? Comparisons. Now, comparisons manifest in many different ways. So this could be comparing working in one market versus working in another market, mm-hmm. or somebody that has a skill set working in this industry versus working in another industry with a particular skill set. So if you've got a mechanic a mechanic can work in a multiplicity of industries, right? So comparing those industries or professions, whatever you want to call it, we, we, we just love, we, we love comparing. 
Um, then you've got reviews. Glassdoor is the most popular employee review um, site out there. But the fact of the matter is we want unbiased uh, opinions and experiences of working with companies from people that have done it. Just like we want it from somebody that's owned the product, we want somebody that's worked for the business. So it's reviews. And best. Think about how often somebody says best companies for, right? These are very, very common ways that people search. So so once again, across the board, companies don't like to talk about it. Recruits want to understand it. Generally, it only comes up in the recruiting process. But here's what's really interesting. More and more, and this is where it's problematic, Aaron. The moment, ignor- okay, ignorance online, ignorance in the buying process, ignorance in the learning process. So whether you're vetting a company to work for them or to buy from them, ignorance leads to inertia. Mm-hmm. Because ignorance, in other words, not knowing, the company not sharing, always does one thing, which is it plants a seed of doubt. And when seeds of doubt exist, what's the byproduct? In action. We don't make the call. We don't reach out. We don't inquire because we're concerned about something. There's something just that's bugging us. And more and more, we're not okay with having any of those things bugging us until they've been clarified and then we'll reach out. Mm-hmm. It's it's crazy though how how quickly you can get turned off by that. And and I think even like the construction industry, I feel like has always just gotten lucky as far as labor force is concerned. It's just always happened. They haven't really looked at it from a strategic perspective ever, right. let alone... They've never looked at it like they're the ones in charge of attracting the customer, attracting the people. So this is not just a, a paradigm shift as far as you know sales to marketing, like a lot of other industries, because they've been selling stuff for for decades, and now it's um, now it's completely changed. But it's still along the same lines. This is they've just never done anything like it before. Period. And so it's not only. Do they have to shift how they think about it? But they have to shift just having to, thinking about having to do it in the first place. It's crazy. It's it's a massive, it's a massive shift. Yeah. But what we know, what we've been doing for the last fifty years, isn't going to get us through the next fifty. Mm-hmm. Especially now, the rate of change is greater than it's ever been for businesses. Right. So it's like you know the the time period that a company today is on the Fortune five hundred is less in terms of. Uh, total days than it's ever been. Why? Right? Well, it's because we have this evolution that is occurring. And much of it, of course, is digital, but we we can't, but but digital has led to a whole changing dynamic in the workforce. And I think one of the problems that we've had is because we've rested on the laurels that we just, you know, we've got the people are there. We have, we, we have, we're like a professional baseball team that has no farm system. Yeah. And because we have no farm system, we're sitting there saying to ourselves, well, what, what are we going to do? But the fact is, 
we have to look in the mirror and take some responsibility for this. Because what we have not done, and this is this is why um, I believe in Bill Witt so much, and I'm not just saying that because we're talking, is because what we haven't done is we haven't told and shown the story of our people and what we do. And when you do not tell stories, what happens over the course of history? Stuff gets lost. Mm-hmm. It gets forgotten. And if there's an industry that is magical, I would certainly think this industry, dirt, is one of the ones that is very magical. I agree with you. I, I, I'm going to just toss you some softballs here. If I'm, I'm a contractor, and this is, I hear this, I've heard this quite a few times, I want to tell the stories of my people. But then uh, I don't want to put my people on yeah. my website. I don't want yeah. to tell their stories because they're just going to get poached by another contractor. Sure, they're going to get poached. Headhunter's going to come. Yep. They. Yep. If I put my whole workforce online, now a headhunter can just go go down the line and just pick them all off. Yeah. So my first question would be, and so how's that working out for you? That's the first thing I would ask somebody. Mm-hmm. The second thing I would um, ask them, I would say, do you think your employee is going to feel more aligned with your brand and more loyal to you if they're publicly celebrated or if they're never shown or talked about in a public setting? Yeah. What's one of the fundamental needs we all have? We want to be special, appreciated. Right. We, want to, we yeah. want to feel needed. Mm-hmm. We want to feel needed. And sure. Could you do personal things for your employees to help them feel important, needed, necessary, wanted? Yes. But recognition has been around since the beginning of time. And people appreciate that recognition. They appreciate that I am actually part of the brand. You know, with my agency, one of the things that we tell everybody is, and just to break this down for, for folks, the agency world, just like most businesses, we're, most of us are the same. Now, somebody would say, how is a marketing agency anywhere near like you know, a heavy equipment company, dirt movers, et cetera? Well, in this regard, oftentimes there's one leader of the agency and that leader is the only person public-facing individual within said agency. There's a pride factor there, right? There's a fear factor there, to your point. Whereas what we say in our agency is, um, you're expected to build your brand and leverage our platform in that process because we want you to reach your potential. Which brings me to my next point. If someone is going to leave... They're going to leave. Mm-hmm. So when we accept that anybody could leave and we stop living in a place of scarcity because a scarcity mindset is one that says, if I give more, if I share more, I will be left wanting. So if I share the wealth and knowledge, the story of my team more, 
I will be left wanting. Mm-hmm. Is what people think because yeah. they're going to be poached. Whereas the abundant mentality says, if I share the story and their friends get to see what they get to do at work and their friends are like them, their friends are going to say, man, you seem to enjoy your job way more than I enjoy my job. You think I could come by and talk to your employer? And the abundant mentality says, yes. Could I have people poached? Absolutely. But is this for the greater good? Is the net outcome more potential team members because of the fact that we weren't doing it like everybody else? And if you look a man or a woman to his or her face and ask that question, usually gonna, they're going to say, yep, yeah, it'd probably be a greater net gain. But for some reason, when it comes to our own team, that's when we start to get funny. That's when we start to get, again, scarce. And scarcity, as you well know, Aaron, it's not a, it's not a great place to be. It is certainly unfulfilling. I can tell you that. It, it's, it's a, it it's definitely plagues a lot of society and it's hardwired into us as humans. Scarcity was, you know, thousands of years ago, how we survived, which is why we're <laughs> so drawn to it today. And, you know, the world and technology has way outpaced our ability to evolve. So we still have that 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 core scarcity mindset in all of our brains that we need to fight against but i think it's especially bad in construction because everybody's always bidding on a bidding against each other all the time so you're nonstop compared to your competitors and i've seen other industries where yeah you have competitors taking customers from you or doing this and that but you're not directly bidding against your customers every single day of the week to get any kind of food on your table and so it's it's created just this terrible, terrible plague of scarcity, scarcity mindset through the through the entire industry. And those that um, go to that abundance mindset go to that. Hey, why are we fighting over the same pie here? What if I can just? What if we can go bake another one and we're all better off here? Those are the those are the guys that win at the end of the day. And I I get fired up about this too because all these contractors they think they're fighting amongst themselves for people but they're missing the bigger picture here. We're not fighting amongst ourselves. We all need to be on the same team with one another here. We all need each other to do better because it's about our industry. We're fighting against all of these other industries. We're fighting against these big box retailers and these tech companies and every other industry out there. Those are the ones taking the people that we need and giving them lives that we could potentially uh, improve upon. So that's what it, it drives me drives me crazy that mindset because it's it it really does plague this industry. You know, I like to think of when we have this conversation, and anybody that's a sports fan, football fan, probably appreciate this. So you call you recall Bill Walsh, right? So Bill Walsh was was the coach of the San Francisco 49ers during the Montana Young years, and Bill Walsh is is revered as one of the greatest of all time. And one of the ways that you know that is through the Bill Walsh coaching tree. In other words, he produced, I think, under his tutelage, more head coaches than any coach has ever done. Mm. So he knew every single year, every single year, I'm going to lose people. I'm going to lose people. Yet, he continued to attract the greatest minds. How is that? Or, 
Take Nick Saban, for example, the greatest recruiter in the country when it comes to college football. He's going to lose every single one of those employees. He's going to, they're not employees, they're team members. Yeah. He's going to lose every single one of them in a year or two or three, max four, right? Yet, how does he continue each year? It seems like he gets even more better recruits. Mm-hmm. There's something that's going on there, right? And so we have to stop living in that place of scarcity. It just doesn't benefit. We got to stand out, Aaron. We got to stand out. And it starts with showing the story of our people. Got to show the story in a way that they want to share it with their friends and take pride in ownership and say, hey, look, this is what I do. This is the company I work for. And their friends are literally jealous because they're thinking to themselves, holy crap, you get treated like that? They made a video about you? Like you're the star of their show? Yeah. That's what I'm talking about. It's the era of the cus. not only is the customer the star, but now for many industries, the employee needs to be the star. Mm-hmm. I was, and in, in, in going off that too, I was talking with a friend of mine yesterday and his wife works at an Ivy League school. She's, you know, big time job. He works in the construction industry. And he said, it's, it's funny when I hang out with the people my wife works with and they're all big time, you know, people at this big time university doing big time things. They always want to talk about what I do for a living. And I'm just a guy moving dirt, but they are, they're all so interested in what I do. And yet they're all these people that make all this money and have these huge titles and are with these important people every single day. And so not only should we tell stories, but the stories we can tell are just really cool and really, really appealing. But one, one other uh, big reservation, I'm sure you've never heard of it before is, um, if I, I start sharing about what I'm paying people or what I'm doing for work or whatever it may be, my competitors are just going to go on my website, figure out what I'm doing and, and, and kill me. I can't do that because I'm bidding against these guys. I can't, I, I can't let them know what I'm up to online. I've, I've been very successful for 40, 50 years, not making a peep on the internet. I don't need it now. I don't want that trouble. Hmm. Yeah. And how's that going to work long-term, right? And, and that's, the, that's what's interesting is the leaders of the previous generation are always slowest to adapt to the next one. And that's what we're seeing right now. Sometimes success in history is the biggest business killer there is because it skews our biases. Mm-hmm. And we think, well, just because it worked 20 years ago that it should work today, which of course we know that's naive. It's just simply not the case. So we have to be willing to very, very much evolve. And I mean, mean, this is like this whole conversation is an evolution uh, of, of what's happening. We have a chance. I mean, I really think we have a chance right now to have a renaissance within what I would call the blue collar space. If we start taking this a lot more seriously yeah. and we start to see it for what it is and we change the language and 
we start to show these stories a lot more. But if we don't, all we're going to do is complain that we can't find work. I don't know about you, Aaron, but I'm sick of everybody saying I can't find good workers. Um, now, granted, it's frustrating. And a lot of things that are happening are, are in, in the world and politically spe- speaking aren't necessarily conducive to getting more workers. But don't you get tired of saying it? Doesn't everybody listen to this get tired of saying, I can't find good people? All right, well, what are we doing about it? What are we doing about it? We've got to be willing to show it. To your point, we like to sit there and say, I got a secret sauce. No, you don't. No, you don't. Neither does McDonald's. Everybody knows it's Thousand Island dressing. We sit there, we act like what we've got is some really just unique thing that we do within our organization that makes us culturally special. That's BS. Here's what makes you special today. Show it. Mm. Show it. That's what makes you special. Think about it. It's like, I call it the subway effect. Subway, the uh, fast food chain. They did something very interesting. They changed in many ways the way the food industry worked because they were the first ones, I know people are going to say, well, what about New York delis? But they were the first one to really say, we're going to make your food in front of you. It wasn't happening at a level before where you could watch it happen, Mm. where you felt like you were in some control of the process even. And from them, we see open kitchen concepts because people want to see how it's made, right? So although we might not want to know how real sausage is made, we want to see the sausage of most companies, certainly before we engage them, certainly before we reach out to them. And the more we know, the more likely that is, assuming it's a fit. It, so what if, what if I'm a younger guy at, a, at one of these bigger companies? I understand all of that. And yeah. there is an older generation there that's wildly successful and that's not looking to change anytime soon. Because... And in fairness, and I've been a little too critical of the past generation, which people have not responded very positively to because I'm just some snot-nosed kid. They're like, beat it. What do you know? So I don't want to be too overly critical of the previous generation because they have built some pretty cool stuff in this industry, but they're not looking to really necessarily rock the boat either. If, hey, I've got a good thing going, I'm making record money, I don't need to change. But maybe there's some younger people in my organization that get it, that see the urgency and and want to change and want to start sharing more. If you were one of those younger people, hey, I I, I just heard Marcus. I I completely get this. This is exactly what I've been wanting to do. But I I don't know where to start. I'm just getting pushback. I've I've suggested it. They don't want anything to do with it. What would you do if you were in a situation like that? It's a pretty loaded question. It it was funny. You said something that just took me back about 15 years. When I started doing things in the fiberglass pool industry that had never been done, talking about things that had never been done, showing the story in a way that had never been shown, I can remember a bunch of the manufacturers literally said, who does this snot-nosed kid think he is? That's literally the language that they used, Aaron. And today, Riverpool is on top of the entire industry that is fiberglass pools. Like it's the pinnacle, if you will, in terms of, you know, we dictate 
in so many ways the industry. If someone is saying that about you, it's a clear sign that you're on the right track. Because every generation falls into complacency. Yeah. Now, some don't, but we're talking maybe 10%. 90% eventually fall in complacency, don't want to change, because frankly, they don't have a lot longer in the game anyway. It's just not worth it to me in their mind. That's what they're thinking. Yet these are the same ones that are saying, ain't no good people. Ain't no good people. Oh, yeah. Yet we're refusing to tell and show the story. Or millennials don't want to work. Or millennials don't want to work. And I don't know anybody that works hard in you, Aaron. Last I checked, you're a millennial. So the thing about this is there has to be like, this, this can't be a comfortable conversation. What we're doing isn't working. There is a dearth of people and talent. And so the industry from an, from an employee standpoint is, is dying out. It's like all these churches that are being converted into um, like recreational halls. Mm-hmm. Why? Because they didn't evolve at all. They didn't evolve at all. And so there has to be some type of evolution that, that needs to occur. If you're getting resistance, you work for an organization, you're getting resistance. There's only a few things that I can say about this. Number one, the reason why people resist is not necessarily because they're hard-headed, but oftentimes it's simply because they're ignorant and they don't know. They don't understand. Now, why don't they understand? Well, too often they don't understand because it hasn't been communicated to them in a way that's easily understandable. Mm-hmm. We have to, and that's why I like, like I say that marketers in organizations have to be the best communicators within the organization because they have to convince people that their ideas are true. Sales managers, salespeople, they don't have to do that. I mean, they have to go convince prospects, but internally they don't have to convince really anybody for the most part. Go out, they sell. Whereas trying to convince someone internally, that's like, ah, we got a thousand other priorities and initiatives to worry about. That's a struggle. So you have to learn to speak in a way. You don't want to sound like a marketer. I can tell you that. You need to talk in a way that everybody agrees, here's the problem. What are we going to do about it? Mm. That's one of the major things that, that we have to do. I think too, I'm going to say a few things here that get me in trouble, but one thing I really respect more and more of, Aaron, is when people go rogue within organizations and do what needs to be done and ask for forgiveness later. And I am looking to hire, me personally, like I want to hire people like that. Mm-hmm. I want to hire people that are willing to, you know, fill in outside the lines of that little circle. Why? Because they can. And people used to say to me when I was, really at the peak of, of, uh, of doing all that stuff with the pool industry and changing the pool industry. I would hear the question often, again, from the manufacturers, and from the old timers in the industry, what gives you the right to say that? What gives you the right to do that? And my answer was always the same. The fact that I did it. And you didn't. So, 
what gives you the right is the fact that you're willing to have a conversation that needs to be had because you're seeing around the turn. You see what's happening, right? It's no different than what's one of the worst possible things that can happen to a society and a civilization, that the population stops growing because you want to guarantee that that, uh, that, that society is screwed in 20 years. Mm-hmm. How do you become Detroit? You stop growing. You stop growing. It's very, very unhealthy for society. You actually need to grow to be a healthy, thriving society. The same exact thing applies to industries. And too often we don't, because we're in the moment, we can't see ahead. So the ones that, you know, not to get too political here, but somebody sits here and yaps off about population control. They're a total idiot. They don't understand how the world actually works. Plus they haven't been to the Midwest, right? <laughs> but that's beside the point. Yeah. Right? Because if you think you got problems today, watch what happens in 20 years when you have 50% less people within that particular confines, that country, that civilization, you're screwed. Same thing happens within industries. Mm-hmm. And we're, we're weaning. We, we are, we are, that level is lowering, which means we've got to start thinking dramatically different than what we're doing. If we're going to turn the tide and have a surplus again. Well, and you'll, you can see what the, the detriment of population control is something like China. You know, they, they had that policy for a very long time and it's caught up with them. Big How's time. that working out for you? Yeah, exactly. Big, Japan, big trouble. like, like, yeah. It, you you see that you see these issues. It's like you're not smarter than history, people. There's a reason why history has a chance to show us what the future will look like, and that's why we can't let pride get in the way, man. And we can't sit there and say, "Yeah, but this is the way my daddy did it, my daddy's daddies did it, and this way we're going to do it until the day I die." That's about the stupidest statement I've ever heard. And yet people say that with such like, "Hey, well, like again with vanity." Well, and the, the urgency for me and in, in, in why I feel such a, a calling to serve the mission that we do is because everybody depends on infrastructure to live. You, you need food, or food, water, shelter. It has to happen. And it's not being replaced by technology. It's not being outsourced. It in, indefinitely, at least uh, maybe not indefinitely, but for the next century, I think it's yeah. safe to say, we need to keep building stuff in this country to maintain the quality of life and to improve the quality of life we have. And yet we do have that dwindling population. So it, but we need a growing population. It's, it's not, it's not a, we can't just pack up shop here and say, Hey guys, sorry, we didn't develop people. We didn't recruit people effectively. Uh, We can't, we can't, we can't do this anymore. We can't make board games anymore. We can't make cars. Yeah, that's a shame, but another guy's going to do it. We as an industry, we can't, we can't screw up. We can't fail here right. because everybody else is depending on us. And so that's what fires me up about this. And I'm still trying to strike that balance of when do I, when do I need to be that snot-nosed kid? That's just like, beat it, kid. Like, no, I'm not going to beat it. This needs to be said. And then when to be a little bit more tactful and yeah. respectful. When, yeah, when to, when to hedge. Yeah. And, you know, I think, I think you hedge when uh, people are saying, yeah, I've got, I've got like 10 great candidates for this position and I'm feeling good. 
So my sense is you're not going to be hedging for at least 10 to 20 years. No. Um, uh, at least, no. at least 10 to 20 years. There's so many things creatively that we can do though. I mean, think about it for a second. How many of the people listening to this right now have a specific recruiting video that you've made uh, that's done well that you send to any potential recruit? That's a major. Most people, most people haven't done that. Um, but can I how, can I say yes. something to that, Mar- Marcus? That's really expensive to do. I man, we can't afford something like that. Are you kidding me? Yeah, and. You know, I'm just gonna I'm gonna give the same response, right? What what is more expensive? Creating a video to get those recruits to show and tell the story, or continuing as we've done and not having enough candidates to fill positions. Yeah. Which one costs us more? I like to boil things down in straight black and white questions because it makes it much, much easier because if we're forced to make a choice, well, then we have this thing called clarity. Clarity is nice. But if we are wishy-washy about, well, no, it's like, which is easier? Well, I guess, I guess that expense is certainly much more swallowable than the idea that this continues to go and trend in the direction that it's been trending. Mm-hmm. None of this stuff, you have to look at it like marketing is not free. Recruiting, generally speaking, is not free. Now, can you do things though? that are going to make it less expensive or that is that allows it to be a little bit more almost organic. Well, well, sure, you can. And I think as part of this conversation, it has to be a retention and recruiting, not just a recruiting conversation. Yes. So what, what do I mean by that? If it's okay, I, I just want to talk about this for a second. Mm-hmm. Maybe we'll take us somewhere. But, you know, one of the things that, that we did uh, that I did with with uh, Build Witten, this new uh, online learning platform that you're developing, which is so exciting, is there's a section in there where we talk about what I like to call transformative leadership communication. And one question I like to ask leaders is, how many times this month have you been talking to an employee and in the midst of talking with said employee, because of something you said, a question you asked, they had a breakthrough slash light bulb moment. Mm-hmm. Generally speaking, most people don't remember the last time that occurred. Because so what do we do as leaders? People come to us with problems, we give them a solution, and that's the circle of life. It goes on and on, just like that. Whereas the great leaders, again, Bill Walsh, they say, I need to develop more leaders. I need to teach them how to think. I need to teach them how to be problem solvers. What's exciting when you teach them that, they become so loyal to you. I've got a few people that work for me at my agency that have developed pretty big brands. But they've developed these brands because, in part, I've spent a lot of time with them developing their skills as communicators, as teachers, as speakers, as consultant coaches, things that we do. They're very, very, very skilled now. And they know they're going to get that consistent coaching and mentorship from me. And so although the world might see them at such a high level now, they still are thinking, man, working with Marcus continues to change my life. 
mm-hmm. because he's teaching me skills that are just transforming me. My talents, my abilities, they're never going to be the same. I just want more of that, right? I want more of that. So, and I say this not with arrogance. I say it because it's true. Yeah. I'm committed to transforming my employees, especially the ones that want to elevate who they are uh, personally and professionally. And so, how do you retain? You retain more than anything by teaching someone new skills and they feel empowered by those skills. That's what galvanizes the relationship. How often does somebody come to you because they know as their boss that you are going to help them find the solution, not just give them the answer, but that they can come to you with anything because somehow, some way you always just figure out exactly what to say and how to say it in the moment. But what's funny about it is you're never actually the one giving the answers to them. You just know how to induce the solutions and draw it out of them. Because of that, they feel special. They feel empowered. Oftentimes they don't even realize how that, how did that happen? What, what did that just happen? That's, how we retain people. All that other stuff is nice, but do you make them feel special and empowered? Most do not, frankly. Well, and I, I had those light bulb moments when we, I was part of that transformative communication course that we put together for Build It Leaders. And I, Randy and I both were, and I'm a decent communicator. I've been proved quite a bit over the past three years, owning a business and leading people and talking on a podcast and writing every day. It's amazing. You just become better at words and thoughts. So I'm in a, I'm in a decent place, but we both had so many of those light bulb moments. And the exciting thing about communication is that it's a skill. So you could recognize, okay, yep, there's areas to improve on. And I can actually learn from people like Marcus and, and get some of these tools from Marcus and put these to work in my daily life. And I can improve upon this, even if I really suck. And not only, not only is what you're talking about valuable for retaining people, but how important is something like that with the relationship you have with your, your wife, for example, or, or parenting, or just being a, a member of the community? It's, it's all applicable right. in all aspects of life. This isn't just about work and right. making money, is it? They should say, working there changed my whole life. Mm-hmm. It changed me as a person. And it's not very hard for somebody to say, yeah, I, I learned some skills. You know, I learned how to operate heavy equipment. Like, yeah, but so what? If somebody can say, yeah, sure. Yeah, I mean, it's cool operating heavy equipment. But I've changed as a person by working there. I'm a different man. What do you mean you're a different man? Well, I just... Like we have weekly trainings, or and and they teach us how to how to live a, a more fulfilled, successful life, you know, in and outside the home, and you know, whatever. It's like somebody saying that they're gonna, you know, it's like you you hear this stuff. Like, what do people want to work? You know, they 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 want you know all these perks. It's like instead of perks that are the traditional silly perks, like there's an open keg in the 
in the in, in the company office. Instead, think like, how can I help induce skill improvement? How can I help them develop their gifts and make personal discoveries more than anybody has up to this point? How can I be a true mentor to these folks? That's when it gets really, really exciting. And that's when retention starts to take care of itself. But the retention side naturally leads itself to the recruiting side because like their friends start to see they're different. They say, where'd you learn that? I, I learned it over, over there. I mean, this is the type of stuff that we work on, this type of stuff, stuff we do. Yeah. So leadership development, and we're not talking about your leadership team here. We're talking about leadership development needs to be taught to everybody in your organization. And people listening to this right now might say, you don't know my employees, dude. Yeah, I do. I'm a pool guy, right? My employees are just like yours, all right? So uh, there's nothing special about any of us. Our people are human beings, and they, for the most part, respond to the same stimuli. And if they are able to feel invigorated by something, they're going to want more of that. So the question is, are we implementing that type of training and programs, et cetera, so as to feel that? You know, it's funny to me, Aaron, I've been watching some of this Bill with stuff that y'all are doing. and You met with Jocko and them, and it's like, you could tell that was life-changing for the people that participated, right? This is completely life-changing. So what prevents you all from now trickling that down to the rest of your team, which of course I know you're doing, right? But so how do we recreate those Jocko moments with our, with our, with our team? Can we do that? Yes, I believe we can. No, and that I, um, you know, I was talking to Benjamin and Skylar about, about this whole build it leaders thing before, before it launched and we're working on it. It's, it's going to be an uphill battle as any part of any business really is, but it's looking really good. But before before we launched, I told them, "Hey, even if this is a complete quote unquote failure, we make we make no money, no money, and we're scrambling, and we need to figure something else out, and we just spent all of this money on this whole program that isn't going to work at all. We throw it all away. We have all become so much better as a result, and our team is so much better off than they were three months ago before this was a thing. And me personally, I I'm." so grateful I've had this opportunity to learn about how to become a better leader because it has completely changed how I view every single interaction I have with every single person every single day. It has been more transformative than anything else I've ever done is being involved in this three-month period of building out, build it leaders and learning about leadership from you, from Jocko, from Randy, from others. And and so I told them, hey guys, we we won. We won. Even if this is a total failure, we won because we have these skills. We have this knowledge yep. now that no one can take from us and that we would have not gained any other way if we hadn't done this. Mm, such a great way to look at it. Such a great way. And now we can see the trickle-down effect, right? To You've got the skills. The team can have the skills. They can teach it to their families. I mean, that's what, that's what I love about teaching so much is... When somebody comes to me and says, you remember that, that thing that you taught me, Marcus? And there's a lot of, a lot of stuff I do is just communication-based stuff. And 
I'll teach somebody the, the principle of it. And then they'll come back to me in six months and they'll say, you know, I've been working on this with my kid and my kid is just completely different now. It's like, yeah, that's magic, man. Yeah. That's magic. That's powerful. That's why too, whenever, um, whether it's with my swimming pool company, whether it's my agency, whenever we're teaching something, uh, doing a training, always try to integrate, okay, so this is what it means professionally. This is how it manifests, but here's how it manifests personally. Mm-hmm. And so we like to practice both sides. And once you start to do that, it again has a greater impact on the individual. They feel a greater sense of, again, just for lack of a better phrase, personal development. That leads to, once again, the next domino, which is loyalty to whomever gave them that new skill. That's you. That's the company. Well, in in the blue collar world, there's a big perception problem, and that's people view blue collar people oftentimes as as lesser than. Um, yep. They didn't cut it for uh, higher education, a a a more refined career, whatever it may be. Uh, but if we just print remarkable human beings that are really good parents and people in their communities from the blue collar world, which I think we can. That is probably the core way we're going to permanently shift to that perception problem. So people look at blue collar people like, damn it, they're just good human beings. They're just really wholesome. And and I want to be part of that. And man, there's not another profession out there I've seen that has just created such good people before. And maybe maybe I even want that for for my kid. And and maybe maybe that's a that's a path I want to push my kid towards because that doesn't happen all that much today. This is, it's so much bigger than just making some money at the end of the day or just retaining people. It's, it's, it, this can really have a big impact across the entire industry. Yeah, 100%. Goes back to though, showing and telling the story, right? Yep. I have a boat right now in North Carolina um, in, in a place that's called the Oregon Inlet, which is a famous little inlet in North Carolina. Now, that's famous because it's a hard inlet to come in and out of, but the purpose of being in North Carolina is to catch tuna fish. Now, Aaron, do you know why my boat is in North Carolina right now in the Oregon Inlet? If like, There's one core reason why or how I ended up there. Do you have any idea how I ended up there? The big tuna? Because my favorite show is Wicked Tuna. Ah. It's my favorite show. And so because I love the show. I got to the point watching it for the last 10 years. I said, you know, the Outer Banks is four hours from my house. And see, there's two versions of Wicatuna. There's the Northern episode, which takes place near Massachusetts. And then there's the Southern episode, which takes place, takes place out of the Oregon Inlet in North Carolina, the Axad area. And so watching that, watching what they did, I said, I want to I experience that. So now that's where my boat is and that's where I fish out of. And I've met the Wicked Tuna guys. Now, what does it have to do with this conversation? That's the ultimate form of storytelling right there. How many people have gotten into gold mining because of Gold Rush or Bering Sea Gold? Now, the thing about it is, once again, we can't count on History and Discovery Channel to supply us with employees. That's naive. So can we do that in our own way 
in a in a in a smaller version and like at a micro versus a macro level of course the answer is yes mm-hmm. and a thousand micros are greater than one big macro exactly and so if everybody starts sharing and telling those stories then it gets very very exciting right but the fact of the matter is gold rush has had a big impact on the dirt world i mean it's had a very very big impact like you know how much i've learned about equipment just watching that show mm-hmm I mean, and because I love that show. I mean, absolutely love that show. And I've actually learned a ton of about equipment and, you know, D10s and all this stuff by watching that show right there, telling a story. Yep. Well, un- un- unfortunately, though, equipment breakdowns are not nearly as dramatic in real life as they are in Gold Rush. Yeah. Yeah. But they got to fill those additional 35 they, minutes with something. They do. Um, uh, those are Dave. Dave Turin. He's... He's become a friend of mine over the past few years, and he's doing his own TV yeah. show these yeah, days. Yeah, I've watched it. I, yeah. I watch. I watch all all of the stuff because I, I I joke with my wife that I'll be a gold miner one of these days. Yeah, it, it's it's awesome, and I hope to go see him one of these days. Um, and he's hopefully going to be on Build It Leaders one of these days as well. That's a work in progress. Um, but I used to. I remember as a kid uh, before I got into the construction industry because it's been on a long time now. I that show was everything because it was the only show that on mainstream television with excavators and everything like that. But there's, there's a reason why they're making TV shows about our industry. And that's because it's just really damn cool. It's cool. And it's how many shows make it 10 years? Not many. It's, 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 it's less than 5%. Yeah. Make it 10 years. Yeah. And, um, I think I know Wikituna is on its tenth year, and I think Gold Rush is on its tenth year right now. Yep. Just that's that's that just shows you the marketplace has a desire for this. There's a, there is a major major place for it. I agree. Um, one last thing I wanted to talk about we we touched on it just a little bit, but if I me as a construction company, I want to become an expert. And I want to be positioned as, you know, a, a industry leading expert. What would you do? And this is what you did with your pool business. You're, I want to become an expert and I want people to know that I'm the expert. How did you do that? And how does that apply to the construction industry? Because it's, it's the exact same thing. So this goes back really to the secret sauce and letting go of the idea that we have a secret sauce. The, the whole idea is that you show and tell people what you do, how you do it, and why you do it. Mm-hmm. And don't assume that they naturally understand it. So too often, we have this thing called the curse of knowledge. And that is the process of being so familiar with something that we speak to it like everybody understands what we're saying, right? So there's very many ways that that manifests and when it comes to the dirt world. And so... We've got, we've got to, to make sure that we're constantly showing how we do the thing, whatever it is. People are asking about that online. They're searching about that lo- online. Can we show it? Can we tell it? Now, sometimes people will hedge from that because they're like, I don't necessarily want them to see my competitors see how we do that, which once again is dumb because we don't base decisions on trust on what our competitors are or are not doing. We purely base it on the customer or the recruit. That's what we base it on. And we ask ourselves, would they benefit from this? Would they like to see this? Think about the golden rule. 
would they like to know? Would you like to know if you were in that position of trying to make a decision, trying to be a buyer? And so just to give one simple example of this, you know, one of the ways that we blew up at River Pools is my business partner, Jason, and I would walk up on a job site and we'd say, okay, if we were, if we were, uh, you know, a potential pool buyer that didn't really know a lot about pools, but we walked up on this and we were looking around, what would be all the different observations and therefore questions we would have? And they would be like, so why did they choose that shape and size? And why did they choose that particular type of patio? Why they put the filter system right there? And we would create videos on each one of those things while we were on the job site. Hmm. Therefore, telling the backstory behind it, allowing the viewer to look at it, nod their head and say, ah, now that makes sense to me. Yeah, now I'm getting it. It's coming together for me, the, the, the pieces of the puzzle. So there's a lot of pieces to the puzzle in this industry that, that we're talking about. Can we show those better? We absolutely can. Yeah, I completely agree. No, I think this is all fantastic stuff. I, I'm super excited for people to hear your message. We preach a similar message. I think it's just going to be better received coming from, from someone like <laughs> you. If they want to learn more about what the heck it is that you do, they want to learn more about they ask, you answer. How do they find you? What do they look up? There's a couple of different ways that you can do this. First off, um, if you're on LinkedIn, which you probably won't be, but if you're on LinkedIn, make sure you follow me there because I'm really dang good follow on LinkedIn. Yeah, you are. Y- you can. And I say that genuinely. Thank yeah. you, Aaron. Um, you can reach out to me directly. Uh, simple email to remember Marcus at MarcusSheridan.com if you have a, a question for me specifically. Um, get the book they ask you answer and read it. Uh, just do it. Uh, whether or not you feel like you need marketing or sales help, I'm telling you, just read the book. It's going to really just open your mind as to how to how to start thinking way more like your customer, like that recruit that we so desperately need. So make sure you do that. And and I think if you do those things, you're going to be inspired and you're going to be off to the races. But Aaron, this really was a lot of fun. I'm sure we're going to have more conversations um, because I believe in what you're building. And um, I believe in the industry very, very deeply. And I'm excited to, you know, have a little, little part in it. We, I'm super, we're super excited to, ha- to have you here with us. And before, just before we wrap up, what do you discuss on Build It Leaders? Because a lot of what we're talking about, a lot of what you have to teach, transformative communication, we've created videos for people yeah. to watch Yeah. Right after they listen to this, they exist. They're they're online. Can you just give a brief overview? As so, as- if you want your employees when you're talking to them to have breakthroughs all the time because of the way you communicate, then you want to listen to that course on Build It Leaders. If you feel like sometimes you struggle to know what to say and how to say it and how to ask the perfect question, you need to listen to Build It Leaders because it's it's there. Uh, if you feel like you want to create a marketing philosophy that is built to last, that could generate hundreds, if not thousands of additional leads, again, on the recruiting or on the general customer side, then you want to listen to the course that we've created in Bill Witt Leaders. So there's a lot there. Um, you're going to love it. And uh, there was a lot of videos that we did a whole lot of videos. And yeah. so there's a lot of great learning there. It's my best stuff. And so I'm hoping everybody will will check it out. 
Awesome. And like I said, I, we're taking a lot of this and implementing it as we speak because our, you know, you're asking these questions to, to the listeners and I'm answering in my head, do we have those questions answered on our website? And the answer is, nope, we definitely don't. And then I'm going to, okay, so who's the best person to talk to this about? And how mm-hmm, could we mm-hmm. implement more of that? My mind's been going this entire time of, yeah, how do we do more of this? How do we do more of this? How do we do more of this? So I'm excited to implement this within our business, if nothing else. Awesome. Well, I appreciate you stopping by and uh, hopefully we can talk again one of these days soon. We certainly will. Thanks, Aaron. Dirt Talk is hosted by Aaron Witt and produced by me, Alex Horton. To connect with other people who listen to this show, use and search for the hashtag Better Dirt World and join in on the conversation. If you have questions, comments, or concerns, reach out to dirttalk at buildwit.com. Stay dirty. Stay dirty.